An average Canadian homeowner will make over 80 mortgage-related decisions throughout their lifetime, and all these decisions can affect how they live their daily lives, from making sure they choose the right lender to deciding on the right term, type, and rate. Mortgage-related decisions can have a tremendous impact, so making the right decisions can really count. That's why when mortgage customers are faced with having to make important mortgage decisions, they turn to mortgage brokers. Mortgage brokers offer expertise and advice, so mortgage customers can be more informed. But mortgage brokers also do a lot more. They offer their customers a one-stop shop for great rates and value-added mortgage features from their partners like First National. Mortgage brokers are also licensed and regulated professionals who have the credibility to help customers find the right mortgage, even when new mortgage rules are introduced. Mortgage brokers offer personalized service, so customers don't have to get bogged down in paperwork or feel uneasy about the status of their application. They work with partners like First National, who are also dedicated to keeping the customer experience positive and seamless. This year and in the years to come, many Canadians will be faced with having to make mortgage decisions that will affect their daily lives. They can count on mortgage brokers and their partners to help. All right. Good morning, DLC uh, group, um, brokers, uh, lenders, partners. Really appreciate you being here today. My name is Gary Morris, and I'm the host of the uh, DLC Level Up program. Uh, today is February 17th, 2022, uh, and I am extraordinarily happy to uh, be with you today and introduce our uh, guest today. Um, to, to those of you in the, in the West, good morning. To those of you in the East, good afternoon. My guest today is Lisa Listen. Listen. President FedEx Express Canada. I'm going to quickly go through her bio. As the president of FedEx Express Canada, Lisa Listen has risen from an associate marketing specialist to one of Canada's most powerful and influential transportation executives. As the leader of over 12,000 employees across 64 locations, Lisa has helped build FedEx Express Canada into the most reliable courier network in the country. Lisa has become a renowned public speaker in Canada and the United States for her revealing discussions about becoming the first woman and the first Canadian president in FedEx Canada history. The sudden passing of, the sudden passing of her husband at a young age, raising their four children as a single mother while building a successful career has enabled Lisa to acquire many insights and advice that she shares with all of her audience with openness and frankness. Lisa is an inductee to the Women's Executive Network Hall of Fame as one of Canada's most powerful women. Lisa is passionate about access to quality healthcare for all, for all children and currently sits on the board of Sick Kids Foundation and Sick, Sick, Sick Kids Hospital. She is also the best-selling author of Resilience, um, which I'll show you in just a uh, minute. Um, it's a story about navigating life, loss, and the road to success. Lisa also starred in the award on the award-winning TV show Undercover Boss and is a best-selling author of a memoir called uh, Resilience. Uh, interesting, interesting fact. When she did Undercover Boss, she actually won. Her and the producer actually won the Canadian Emmy for their episode. Please help me welcome Miss Lisa. Listen, Lisa. Good afternoon. Hi. Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. And Gary, thanks so much for having me. You know, Lisa, we're really excited about having you. I mean, the uh, in the in the brief time that you and I have had a chance to just start to get to know each other, uh, I find myself just pinching myself. I mean, you are such a fascinating individual. We're going to talk today about, um, you know, a lot of your history. Uh, and obviously, the book that we are uh, referring to is this book, Resilience. Uh, for all of you like that are on this call, uh, like we normally do, we're going to give away at least 50 copies. David is going to put up the uh, hashtag. There it is, hashtag resilience. Please, guys, social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, please make posts and comments. If you have questions, like always, please put those comments or questions in the uh, comment box, question box. 
and we will absolutely get to them. So Lisa, as I, as I sort of read your book and as I started doing my homework on this, you know, it was extraordinary to me that, you know, you navigated yourself from an entry level position up to the president of FedEx Canada. But on top of that, I think what really fascinated me is the resilience uh, that you needed to get to where you are today. The this part of the story that's so impressive isn't the fact that you became the president of FedEx Canada. It's what you had to endure to get there. So I want to start with the early part of your life, the first kind of five years, you know, when you finished university, um, 21 to 26 years old. In the space of five years, you went from graduating university, landing your dream job, marrying your high school sweetheart, buying your first home together, wondering whether your kid brother would emerge from a coma, winning a major promotion at work, and burying three people who were incredibly close to you. And that was, of course, your husband, Pat's mother, your father, and he was only 47 years old. Okay. And then again, your best friend's sister. That in itself is extraordinary and is more, more lost than, than most people you know, often have to go through in a lifetime. What's even more extraordinary, right, and contributes to your resiliency and what has, has made you who you are today is that 12 years later, at 38 years old, your husband, Patrick, in the middle of the night, wasn't in bed. You found him on the floor. He had a major, major heart attack. He was on, um, I guess, support. I don't know if it was life support in a vegetative state. Yeah. For two years. And two years later, you buried your husband, Patrick. So I want to start right there. Maybe just, you know, give us some feedback on sort of, um, you know, that heartache and that pain that you've gone through because it is extraordinary that you've been able to achieve what you've achieved. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Gary. And again, thank you so much for having me today, everyone. I'm so thrilled to be here. And, you know, I learned at a very uh, young age when my last university, when my father got diagnosed with glioblastoma, which is brain cancer, less than 1% of the population uh, gets brain cancer. My, my dad did on my last university and his goal was to make it to my grad and he passed away about a week prior. So I learned at a very young age that how, you know, how short life is and how, you know, one of the one, we all share many common things on this planet, but one of the things we all share is none of us know what tomorrow brings. And I really learned at that very young age when he passed away, just how short life was. And I started asking, you know, why him, why me? And I realized at a very young age that I wasn't going to get those answers. So I had to, how I dealt with my grieving at a young age was what can I learn from this to become stronger? And then I met my, my husband, Patrick. We went, we're high school sweethearts. Uh, we met when we were in grade nine and went all through high school. There we are, all through high school and all through uh, university together. And we finished university and then we got engaged. And uh, within two months after us getting engaged in the fall, his mother, guess what? Gets glioblastoma. The same thing my dad had. So now the roles are reversed and she, uh, we're supposed to get married in the spring, but I really wanted her to dance with Patrick, my husband. So we got married in January. Most people in Canada don't get married in January because <laughs> you're hoping not to have a snowstorm. And then, yeah, we get married uh, uh, and she made it to our wedding and danced with him. And then uh, unfortunately she passed away about, this, like, about six months really with brain cancer. Unfortunately, I've become an expert at that. And then uh, shortly after that, my best friend's sister, um, I, uh, she was in an abusive relationship and my best friend asked me to help kind of pull her out of there one night, which we did and moved her out in the middle of the night kind of thing. And uh, we said to her, look at, don't you go back, don't you go back. And she went back and he happened to be there and he took his, her life and then his. And then on top of that, so I, I had done my father's eulogy and then I, the family asked me to do Elaine's eulogy. And then, uh, you know, after that, I thought, my goodness, you know, like I've had my father, my, my mother-in-law, my best friend. And I said to Patrick, like, whoa, you know, we're, we're certainly learning a lot about life, how fragile it is and how it's such a, a gift each day we get. And then Patrick and I are, you know, rising in our careers. We're having, we have four children. And I always tell all the women and, and men, that's my oldest daughter, Haley, that you can have a career, ladies. You can um, have as many kids as you want. I have four. And I was, you know, Patrick and I were, our careers were taking off. I started off entry-level FedEx out of school. And uh, life was good. Our kids were nine, seven, five, and three. 
and we came back from a, a cottage rental and uh, the middle of the night, as Gary said, I hear a thump and as mums with bionic hearing, I realized that thump came from inside the room, turned the light on and there was Patrick on the floor. So I quickly did CPR, phone 911 and they brought him down to our local hospital. And after many, many hours, um, the doctor said to me, he's had a massive heart attack and um, we don't think he is going to, um, we've got him recovered, but we don't think he's going to pull out. He's pretty much in a uh, vegetative state at this point. And I asked, so they were telling me to let him go. And I don't know what came over, but I went into, I asked this very profound question. I said, I asked one question. I said, do miracles happen in this hospital? And this team of doctors said, miracles happen every single day. And I said, you know what? He's 38 years old. He's my high school sweetheart. My kids are nine, seven, five, and three. So I need you to hook them up to whatever you need to hook them up to. And I need to know if I'm going to get my miracle. And I spent two years at the time I was a vice president of FedEx. And I spent two years um, try, trying to make sure I did a good job as a vice president of FedEx, trying to raise my four kids and also taking care of him because to see him, he looked fine, but he was in a vegetative state. Um, and after the two years, I came to realize that I wasn't going to get my miracle and I, I was time to let him go. Um, and then a year, Gary, after that, almost to the day, I get a call from Memphis and uh, it's our CEO of the world. And, and he said, uh, he's, oh, it's, not too, it's not often the CEO of the world's calling me. So I'm going into shock. And I said, yes, Mike. And he said, uh, congratulations. And I said, well, for what? And he said, um, you're now going to be the first Canadian and the first uh, president to uh, ever ever run Canada or first female to ever run a division of FedEx. And Gary, I went into complete shock. And I'm like, aren't you going to interview me? I mean, here he is offering me the job. And I, I'll tell you, no man would have said, I'm like, this is a lot about women. We we're questioning ourselves too much. And, and I'm like, aren't you going to interview me? And he's like, you've been interviewing for 18 years, which is how long I've been with FedEx. And and here I am today talking to you and all this wonderful people that have joined today. And I've been in this position now, Gary, for uh, 11 years, which is my favorite number, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading in the book when you asked that question, do miracles happen in this hospital and uh, just getting absolute goosebumps. Um, such yeah. a such an incredible question. So so then tell me, you know, when when you go through despair like that and you have, you know, that kind of news, um, you know, it must be almost impossible to dig yourself out of that hole and not fall into that, you know, that that victim mentality. In your book, you talk about attitude uh, is a crucial variable. Yeah. Maybe just talk to us about the attitude that you had to take on in order to get through those very difficult times. Absolutely. So I will tell you, you know, like after Patrick passed away, because I really thought um, I was going to get my miracle. I'm, I'm the most optimistic person on the planet. Um, cause I think optimism, being optimistic helps to reduce your stress, helps reduce anxiety, being optimistic about things that you want in life, even though if you don't know how it's going to happen yet, I'm a ble huge believer, believer in visualization as well and writing down goals, which we'll, which if we get to, I'll share some of my tips there. But right after he passed away, I, uh, I was like, I have to figure out how I'm going to get through this because, you know, he was the love of my life and I've got these kids and. I didn't know how, how I was going to get through it. And so it was my sweet mom, actually, that started me on my journey about resilience. And she said to me, she grabbed my hand right after he passed away. And I was obviously struggling for the first few months. I was like, you know, it was a miracle for me to, you know, get up and get, you know, put some lipstick on me. That was, that was extraordinary. But she grabbed my hand, Gary, and she said, Lisa, she goes, you have to remember this. She said, life is not about what happens to you. It's about what you choose to do with what happens. And even though right now you feel completely paralyzed in your, in your life, just always remember you do have control when things happen to you like this. You you, the control that you have is how you respond to the situation. And that, those words, when, when she said that to me, gave me some control of the uncontrollable, meaning although I could not bring Patrick back, I could control how I responded to it. And I that set me on a path to, I'm going to figure out how I can get through this stronger than when I started. 
And that really got me researching and looking into the word resilience. And if you look at the word resilience and what it's what it um, is defined is getting through a, a hardship. It can be their personal or it can be professional, but getting through a hardship and coming out just as strong or if not stronger than when you started. And I said, I need to figure out this resilience. And so I started researching because I always thought these successful people, Gary, that overcame these odds or overcame tragedy, I always thought they had something special. I thought they were born that way. But what I came to discover through my research on resilience is that it's not a gene. It's not something that that you have to be born with. What it is, is what I've learned is that we all have a resilience muscle that we can strengthen and we can strengthen if we choose to do so. And that really uh, encouraged me to figure out how I'm going to get through this stronger. And I'll just share a couple of things that helped me. One of the first things that I learned that resilient people do is they focus on the here and now. They don't look back because we're not going that way. You look back for life lessons and they don't let their minds wander to the future. I read this great quote by Joyce Mayer that said, worrying about the future is like putting a down payment on a problem you may never have. So (laughs) resilient people live in 24-hour increments because none of us know what tomorrow brings. Resilient people realize that their attitude in life is their calling card. And we, we, when we wake up every single morning, we can choose our attitude like we choose our clothing. So at first when I was waking up saying, I can't get through this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I can't, I can't do my job. I was quitting before I even started trying. So I started to change my attitude to say, I've got this. I'm going to be the best mom and dad ever. I'm going to still go on my path to try and be the first Canadian president. And I kept telling myself that, Gary, even though I had no idea how it was going to happen yet, but I kept telling myself and believing that I was going to be the best mom, the best person in the job, even though I had this hardship. So resilient people realize their attitude is their calling card. It's how you show up. It tells people what to expect from you. And we can choose it like our clothing. Focus on positive thoughts, living in the here and now. And the last point I'll make what resilient people do, Gary, that they live with gratitude. Mm, Absolutely. So for me, for me, I rather than me focusing on the loss of Patrick's life, I went to, he could have been driving me in the car when he had his heart attack. He could be driving with our four kids when he's had his heart attack. So as tragic as his life loss was, I focused on those those years I had with him and our four beautiful babies because I mentor a lot of men and women, widows, who never had a chance to have a baby with their partner before they passed away. So gratitude is huge in strengthening that result. Focus on what you have, but all too often, Gary, we want to focus on what's missing, and that is not a way to live our lives. Yeah, so powerful. It's interesting. It sounds to me like uh, you had some very powerful women uh, in your life growing up. Obviously, your mom, you know, drilled into your head. You're in charge of you. You're in charge of you was a quote that you, you know, yeah. uh, put in the book. And then, of course, your your great grandma was your guiding light. And very, very, um, you know, you said in the book that you grew up in a household from your mom where she said you can do anything you want, anything you want. She just she just absolutely drove that into your head. Oh, there she is. There's yeah, my mom and dad. Drove yeah. that into your mind. Maybe talk about that, like how important it is. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, um, people on the show today that have the children at home that, you know, um, would love to hear sort of like what you were, you know, experiencing in your household from your mom and great grandma. I think that was very instrumental in probably some of the resiliency that you have. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I pass this on to my kids. So what my great grandma was, I was very close to, my grandma, she passed away younger. Um, and my mom is that, you know, for example, This is one simple example, Gary, but I'll tell you. So um, when I got a call to interview for the entry level at FedEx, okay, I went into shock. And then my my great-grandma and my mom were in the kitchen when I hung up the phone. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they want to interview me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do well. And I I always, all of a sudden started quitting before I even started trying. And they both looked at me and said, stop. Why do you think you're going to bomb the interview? If you think you're going to bomb that interview, you're just putting it out there and you're going to make it happen. Right. So you take that back because words matter. 
words matter what we say. And one of the things that they both told me in that profound moment, early on too, but it's that the most important conversation, this is what they instilled in me and I instill in my four children. The most important conversation we have in life is with ourselves. Okay, think about that, that inner voice, that, that talk track. And for some reason, that talk track, Gary, wants to go to the negative side. Like when my daughter's, a perfect example, she, she just interviewed a month ago for her dream job and she did the same thing. And she's like, oh my gosh, mom, they want to interview me. And, and she's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to bomb this. I said, stop it right there. So I would say the most profound thing that my mom and grandmother instilled in me is how important that inner voice is. And so if you say, I am never going to find my life partner, I'm never going to get married, you're declaring that to be true. And then you're going to start to act and behave like that's never going to happen as opposed to saying, here's a perfect example, okay? You know, I still have not, you know, dated. My husband's been gone a long time. But I don't say, you know, I'll never find love again or I'll never get married again. I'm just saying he hasn't found me yet because the timing is not right. You see the difference? And so that is probably, I would say, the most profound thing that, that I grew up in about you can, you can do this, you can do that. Don't use the word can't. Don't use the word I'm not able. And, and that really was instilled in me. And I needed that before all of these tragedies happened in my life, which was profound. And like I said, I instilled that on my kids. So, you know, when Chloe was going down, I'm not, I go, hang on. She was, I go, take that back. That's a little thing in the house. And I go, I go, take that back. She's like, okay, mom, I've got this. I said, yes, you do. Sorry, Lisa, I'm just, uh, I just uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, I just had an audio problem. I had to quickly change offices. I lost all power on my computer. So, oh, no. Uh, you. I know you just finished up your comment, but I... I literally just finished and you popped yeah. back. So that worked yeah. out well. My amazing assistant, Tara, solved the problem for me in two seconds and announced it there in There you go. And, yeah, yeah, super happy. So, uh, you know, just sort of going back to that a little bit, um, let, let's, let's sort of use some of those lessons that you just shared and how we can empower our children. And let's talk about sort of women in the workforce. Um, in your book, you talk about, um, it's, it's extraordinary that amazing, that 40% of the workforce, um, you know, is made up from uh, the females, but yet only 3% are of CEOs, um, you know, are female. And I want to read a bit of an excerpt from your book, because I think it was uh, very powerful. It said, I know of a woman who complained bitterly that they can't advance beyond a certain level in their careers, even though they are just as qualified as men and sometimes more qualified no matter how hard they try, they can't break into that boys club. I understand those women's frustrations, but I don't share them. Can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, when I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in networking, and I think it's so important, networking and mentoring. And I wouldn't be where I am today without my mentors and without the network and my sponsors. But so I would go to when I was VP, as an example, and even when it became president, um, I would go to a lot of networking events and I, I would hear women say that, I know I would say to them, what's your, if you're a VP or a senior VP or an EVP, whatever, what's your, what's your next move? And they're like, well, I'd love to be president, but that'll never happen. And I'm like, why not? They go, I can't break into that boys club. And I would say to them, it goes back to almost like what I was just talking about early on about that inner voice. So I just, I would say to them, well, have you, have you let your intentions be known? Because that's the other thing that's very important. Like, if you want to achieve something in life, no matter what it is, personally or professionally, let your intentions be known. Talk about it with others. You never know how someone could help you. And so I said to this woman that's already quit before she's like, I'll never break. I go, have you let your intentions be known? I certainly did. Did you walk in there and say, I want to be the next president. I need to figure, help me figure out what I need to do to get there. Have you done that? This actually is a really good story. She's like, I have not. And I said, well, you need to start doing that. And you need to ask for feedback, ask what you need to be working on. Let those intentions be known. And Gary, honestly, she got the job, but she just assumed that she could never break through. And so that is just one example of many where I see, and I mentor a lot of women and a lot of them, I just had a call yesterday with one and she is a senior VP and there's, there's just three men of their EVPs. And she's like, I don't think I'll ever get there. And I'm like, let's work on a plan. Why, why are you quitting before you even started trying? So, so I'm, so I'm not saying that the, the only 3% of women um, at CEOs is because they're quitting before they're trying. I think they're, they're for sure, for sure is a glass ceiling out there, but I think that more women could break through it 
-hmm. with being stronger, letting their intentions be known. And here's another interesting thing that I've, I've done a lot of research on women and, um, and leadership, et cetera. But and you, I mean, you guys might have heard of this, but a man will go for a promotion when he is 60% ready. But you know what, women? We've got to wait till we're 110% ready, that we've dotted every I, crossed every T. We got to stop doing that. So I mentor a lot of women. I say, look, if you feel like you're 60% ready to go, they'll ask me, should I go for this promotion? Well, I don't feel like I'm ready. Well, why don't you feel you're ready? And all the reasons are don't, like, you sound ready to me because those, those sound like excuses. <laughs> yeah. So I think if more women um, went, for, went for promotions or let their intentions be known, when they're 60% ready, they will be surprised because they're going to get it through focus, through determination, and through effort, and through believing in themselves, which is huge. If you cannot believe in yourself, why would you expect anyone else to? Yeah, and you actually demonstrated that yourself. I know the first time uh, that you applied for the president's position at uh, FedEx Canada, you were actually turned down. They said you weren't ready, but you yeah. went there. You had the experience. You put your face in front of them. They got to know you, that you had the 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 um, intent or the interest to be there, and then it made your 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 second you know sort of attempt that much more successful. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah, exactly right. I, I put, I threw my name. I, I knew I was like, I shouldn't say I knew I wasn't going to get it because I was believing I would, but I'd only been a, I think I'd only, only been a VP for like a couple of years. So it was a bit of a long shot, but I was like, you know what? I'm throwing my name in the ring and they're going to find out who Lisa Listen is. And I <laughs> went in there believing I was going to get it for sure. Um, but, and I, you know, pre prepped and whatever, but they told me I wasn't quite ready, which is fine. But here's the other thing, too, when you're in a company or how you react to bad news is very, very important in life, both personally and professionally. So, yeah, was I upset? 100 percent. But I didn't. I always say this. Never carry a bad day forward. Don't ever do that. Don't carry a bad. So I was upset. I had my one day of like, OK, I didn't get it. The next day I'm back at work. OK, let's go. And the new president, I'm like, I'm going to be your right hand person. Let's do this, whatever. But so many people carry a bad day forward to make it a, the next day and it turns into a bad week, a bad month. You can't do that. And yeah. that's what I tell my kids too. So um, yeah, so it was devastating for sure. But, and then, you know, you heard the story at the beginning of this chat where uh, the next time I got the call and I, you know, and they're like, I'm going to interview me. So, yeah. but I, if, but if, how, if I had reacted really badly, like came in with a chip on my shoulder or I would not be sitting here talking to you today. And I see so many people that don't get a promotion or they don't get this job or they don't get that big sale and they, they live in it for, for weeks. And then if that just cascades to every other aspect of their life. Absolutely. So that's very important. Don't carry a bad day forward. Yeah. Often people carry it and sometimes for years, right? I mean, they years. Get like, and they carry it for years and it just damages all the joy in their life. Absolutely. And, you know, um, the other thing that you talk about in your book, which I thought was really interesting, it's funny, I have a sign on my wall and I put it in there the day we started this company. It's three letters, Y-E-S, right? Yes. And for me, it was always, the, always be open to opportunities. Always say yes. Always have a look at it. Always give yourself the opportunity. Well, you explained it in your book very similar, uh, but you said, um, you talk about always making and taking the lateral move. And of course, we've heard so many people say, oh my God, that's a lateral move. You don't want to take that move. And you talk about taking those lateral moves. And Absolutely. And that has been. Can you uh, just drill down on that for us? Absolutely. So what I, what, what met, I get this from my mentors. What so many mentors have told me is it's so important in life, okay, both personally and professionally, to get out of that comfort zone. And you probably have all heard that, this saying, which is rarely does anything great happen in your comfort zone. So one of my mentors said, um, when I approached them, I said, look, it, I am, I am um, VP of marketing and sales as an, one example. I'll actually give you an earlier example. I was a manager manager of advertising and promotion. And the manager of pricing and product and analytical came up. I am more of, you can tell, I talk with my hands. I'm more on the creative side, more less, less analytical. But I said to my mentor, this job's come up, but I don't really know a lot about the analytics. And they're like, you got to go for it. Because if you want to be a director, you got to do that. You need to learn every aspect of that before to get you ready. Great advice. So I moved over there and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, it, but I forced myself to learn. I'm glad I did because it really got me out of my comfort zone. And the same thing when I was, when I was the um, vice president of marketing and they gave me sales, I'm like, are you crazy? I've, I've never sold anything in my life. I feel sorry for salespeople. I never negotiate. I'm like, I want to get paid. For, I'm just feel, <laughs> I'm a terrible salesperson, but 
they're like, you're going to do sales. So I left when they told me you're getting sales and I went to, you know, chapters or whatever. And I got like sales for dummies, sales 101, sales this. And what knowledge is power. And we can, when we're thrown into uncomfortable or new situations, I tell everyone so much research and learn. So number one, Gary, absolutely get out of your comfort zone. Take those lateral moves, do things that that you think that do things that make you uncomfortable because you learn and grow. And in that uncomfort is when you go out and research, you know, I tell my kids all the time is like, Google's my best friend. And I'm not joking. Like I'm on there all the time researching, like how to do this, how to do that. Like it, there's so much wealth of information that can help us in uncomfortable situations. And um, yeah. And I honestly, if I didn't make all these lateral moves and I did a whole bunch more, I took on, automation like before i got this job i took on customer service i took on our clearance operation and all the other vps like why are you crazy but if i didn't do that gary honestly it wouldn't have got me ready for the job that i'm in right now yeah no kidding it just absolutely uh what a journey so let's maybe, let's maybe talk about mentorship and we'll get into leadership here in a minute and, and some other items but you know you've said in your book you've had so many mentors um over the years and you said all of your mentors had one thing in common they all believed in their own success yes. i'd love to hear about sort of some of your mentors and then maybe talk to our audience about you know the importance of mentors and how they can go about asking and finding a mentor absolutely so like i said i would i would not be in this position without my mentors for sure and you know when i when i first got the entry level um it was my mom who said you know try and get some people to help you um, grow. Like you obviously want to be a manager. So why don't you go find some manager mentors? And I'm like, mom, that's such a good idea. And so what I did, like after I'd been an individual contributor for a couple of years, I, I went out and I asked the manager of finance, the manager of engineering. I said, hey, can I, can I buy you a coffee in the cafeteria? I would love just to pick your brain for 30 minutes. And I would love to know what are the three things that you did to get you ready to be a manager. And I'll tell you what, Gary, people love talking about themselves. So they said, right. absolutely, yeah. So they would tell me, here are the three things I did. So I took those three things from this manager. I took those three things from this manager. I was basically asking them for their career playbook. Give me your career playbook. And they're happy to share it. And then I took all the things that I felt would play to my strengths. And I used that to create my own career playbook. And that got me to them. And I did it when I was a manager when I was a director, then when I became a VP, when I became a vice, vice president, I asked for 30 minutes of time with the other presidents. How did you get to be the president of a region? What did you do? So ask people for your career playbook. And so, so that's one thing. Go out and ask people that you admire. I always say this, surround yourself with people, places, and things that inspire you. Gary, you said you had, uh, I've got I've got signs. I've got a really good one here. I want to read beside my desk whenever we're having a low moment because we all have low moments. We can't right. be chipper all the time. I've got one right here that I'll read that that picks me up. But, but you know, but so my mentors had said to me, it's absolutely important that you continue to build that relationship beyond just the one. You know, can I have a coffee? And so here's what here's what I did to get mentors on on a more ongoing basis beyond just the coffee because you need people to bounce things off of. So. What I would do is I would go up to people that I really admire and I would say, listen, could I steal 30 minutes of your time just once a month, conference call, whatever, whatever. Now we can do Zoom. Um, and I just would I will I just want to have you as a mentor. I will send you my two or three questions in advance. And would you mind doing this for just six months or sometimes people do it for 12 and 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 because I want to learn from you. And it's and it gives people an opportunity, right, to 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 pay it forward, right? So that's what I would do. And for those that say, you know what, I'm so, so busy, I don't have time to take you on. But I say, okay, can we do lunch or a coffee? And so I tell people, a lot of people, if you want someone to mentor you for it's like three months or six months, do that. Just approach them and say, I admire you. Would you mind giving me 30 minutes mm -hmm. once a month? I really want to understand your career playbook, uh, you know, and you'll find most people will say yes, but if they don't, you ask them for that coffee and don't be shy. I have learned so much from my mentors. Honestly, I would not be here today if it weren't for them and all the great advice that they gave me to get to this position, but also what they still are giving me. And I rely upon them 
heavily. Like Mike, Mike, who's the gentleman that gave me this position, he's retired. I still will text him and ask him questions, career or personal or whatever, um, to this day, because, you know, we have to rely on others and their strength and their knowledge, especially when we're down or having difficult times. Um, it helps to talk it out with people and to get, get their advice and insight to get through it. So if you don't have, I was telling if your audience right now, Gary, if you just don't have mentors or people you can lean on, try and create that network of people because you'll be surprised how powerful it truly can be. And it's absolutely amazing too. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly mentoring people. I have, you know, three young kids now below the age of 21 uh, that I've mentoring, um, you know, off and on. And, and I do a, a new broker, you know, session and, and I've mentored so many over the years and, you yeah. know, it's, it's as good for me as it is for, for them because it keeps me youthful again. It brings me back to it. It, it, it reminds me that some of the things I'm teaching them, maybe I've stopped doing them myself. So I've slid a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Brings my game Absolutely. up. Yeah. I've yeah. always, when I, I, I had think I had, you know, I had a, we talked a couple of days ago, I had a mentor session with someone just prior to us talking and I, when I'm helping her solve a career uh, situation and giving her advice, when she hangs up the phone or we're on Zoom and she's energized, I am just as energized because I realized some of the things I was telling her, I'm like, hey, you know what? I, I got to remind myself to right. do some of those things, you know? So it's a good refresher for us too, Gary. Yeah, no, absolutely is. Uh, so maybe let's talk about personal development. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer in personal development. I don't care if it's, you know, an audio book, if it's, you know, watching a speaker on YouTube, if it's attending a, um, you know, a session or a speaker. What, do, what, is, what does Lisa Listen do for personal development? I mean, you're obviously busy. I just want to let everybody know just today, four kids at home, two extra kids at home, mm-hmm. five dogs, three rescue bunnies, right? Yeah. It's on two yeah. boards. And again, is the president. Oh, there they are. Look at it. Canada. That's your yeah. household today, right there. That is so, pretty much it. Yep, that's right. uh, that's pretty much it. So I know you're a busy lady, but but talk to us about what you do for your personal development. How do you keep your fire uh, lit? Yeah, so a couple things is that, number one, as I mentioned, I think it's so important to surround yourself with people, places, and things that inspire you, which is very important. So for me, um, I get my personal development for sure from my mentors or just from just from my network. Um, from people that I admire, which is so important. Um, I'm a constant, I will, <clears throat> I will read, like I know people ask me what's your favorite book. I actually don't have one. Gary, I, knowledge is power. So I'm a, I'm a constant reader. Like I was just doing a, a Zoom session and this gentleman was just talking about this book about how we can fall in different categories as human beings. And so he's like, I'm sending you this book and it's on its way. So knowledge is power. So for me, how I get my my inspiration, my vote, motivation, my my drive is that I am constantly reading. I re, I'll read anything, whether it's whether it's business strategy, personal development, um, and and I like I said, I think knowledge is power. And a lot of times, I mentioned earlier on too about Google. Like if I'm if I'm if I'm having you know a moment, like I said, none of us. It's okay to have down days, and you have to give yourself permission to down days. Like right. none of us are perfect, and none of us can be like positive think all the time. Those down days make you make those good days feel better. But I always say, don't carry a bad day forward. So if I'm having a bad day or struggling with something, I will actually go and I've got I've got a lot of calendars that have this little and even on my phone right beside me, as I mentioned, I've got all these little motivational things here in the office or around my house. I will go to and read, and it just um, um, uh, what is it relaxes me. Um, look at, there it is. That's one of the things for my mom. And I've got this actually in my house with my kids and I'll just share real quick Gary, if I grab this. So, um, I've got this saying is right beside me on my desk. I'm going to read it to you. So remember I'm having a moment. What it says is says there is no medicine like hope, no incentive so great and no tonic so powerful as expectation of something better tomorrow. And this sits beside my desk. Whenever I'm having a, a bad day, I realize it's just a bad day. It's not a bad week or year. And the last thing I will say too, and I am I am a huge believer in um, in quiet time and um, in creating white space on our calendar, both personally and professionally. So what I always I would and I, so I carve out three or four or five hours at work where I'm not in a meeting, I'm not in a Zoom, where I pause and I reflect. And I just breathe and I look and say, okay, what, what, how am I doing? How are things like, and I would not be able to, if 
function without that white space on my calendar, not only professionally, but the white space on my calendar personally, where I will carve out five, six, seven chunks of time, whether I'm meeting a friend for coffee, doing hot yoga, going to the gym, even though I hate it. I always tell people I only run if someone's <laughs> chasing me, but I know how good it is to go to the gym. So for me, that's also, and I also will, I wake up every morning and I'll have a, you know, 10 minute meditation where I, I wake up every morning and I focus on what am I grateful for in my life? I start my mornings with gratitude and that meditation. And I end with what am I grateful for from today? Like when I go to bed tonight and have my quiet time, my white space on my calendar, I will mention that I'm grateful that I had this opportunity to be able to share my story to help. I always say, if I can just help one person by sharing my story, that's struggling, you know, personally, professionally, to let them know you can get through things, you can strengthen that resilience muscle. And it all comes down to your thoughts, your mind, how you think. And, you know, so many people don't realize that, you know, we spend so much time on the food we put in our bodies and exercise, but how often do you spend time on your mind and having quiet time and focusing on that inner voice and focusing on the thoughts you're allowing in your head. So, so as you see, Gary, I don't get my, I don't get my energy from one thing. It's from many things in my life that help me, um, you know, be, be, be the, be the best person I can possibly be for my kids, for my family and for my incredible team here at FedEx. Yeah, it's funny because I've said over the years, everyone, anything really important to be done, ask a busy uh, woman, right? And and I mean, you are yeah. the absolute epitome, an example of that. I think there's a lot of people on this uh, program right now that are just saying like, this is absolutely incredible, you know, because I mean, you know, you have a, a very large household, you have, you know, you sit on boards, you do all kinds of stuff and yet you still find time. Two things that, that you said, and it's funny, um, I want to get your opinion on them because I feel much the same way. I often get asked, you know, Gary, if you could give a piece of advice or just a couple of things that would get me started or, or things that were the foundation, you know, uh, to, to, you know, sort of your position today or, or building this company, what would they be? And I always say, number one, start, just start, right? Like, just, you know what, don't put it off next week, next day, like start right now, start this hour, right? And you're not going to be ready. People want to build the perfect race car before they put it on the road. They want to, as you said earlier, they want everything to be ready. They want the perfect, you know, time in their life to be able to start something. And that is absolutely, you know, craziness and it sets you back. And the, the second thing that I always say is be grateful, right? Show mm -hmm. your gratitude. The more you're grateful, people are very appreciative to people who are grateful. They open doors, they make introductions, they go the extra mile for you. And, and you've you know mentioned both of those you know things today. Maybe just uh, touch bases on the importance of gratitude and you know, maybe maybe where it's helped you. Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, it was huge and and helping me really strengthen my resilience muscle, and it really helped me get through some of the really tough parts of my grieving journey. One thing I will say about grieving uh, for anyone that has lost someone, whether uh, a partner, uh, what, I, what, I, what I've come to learn, which I think is very important, is that um, there is no end to grieving. So I would always say to myself, Gary, well, next year I'll be done grieving or next year I'll be done. There is no end to grieving and that's okay because we never stop loving. And so once I started to realize that, that um, grieving never ends and that it's not a bad thing. And that, again, it ties to the gratitude point. So, you know, I kept saying like, hey, this year for his birthday, I'm not going to cry. And I'm like, well, why, why not cry? Because right. how lucky were you to, to be able to spend as many birthdays as you did? So gratitude for me is really, so the grieving, the grieving in a way, it's like I am the grieving as painful as it was. And it still some days is on the special occasions, but I turn it into gratitude to say, I would rather have had those years where I had him from, you know, 14 till we were 38 and having our beautiful babies and experience that love than to never have experienced that at all. And so that's how I can, uh, being grateful can take a painful situation and turn it positive by focusing on, okay, that has happened, but what are you grateful for, for here and now? So it's hugely profound in my life. Like I said, I start out every morning, like, first of all, every morning, I'll tell you the first thing I say. I said, I'm grateful my eyes open. And, I, and I, I talk about that to a lot of people is that the first thing you should say in the morning is that how grateful and lucky we are that our eyes open because you know how many people wish their eyes open today? And a lot of times too, Gary, what I think with gratitude is that 
I find sometimes, you know, you guys heard this saying, don't sweat the small stuff. But I find sometimes that so many people get so bent out of shape about insignificant things in their lives. They carry it forward to the week. That, and, and I would say to people, hang on a second, pull the camera back in your life. In the whole scheme of your life that you're absolutely losing your mind on right now for a, a solid week, how important is this in the whole scheme of your life? Right. And they kind of look at me and they're like, so think about that. Focus on what really matters. I tell my kids every day, if we are healthy and safe, then we are truly blessed because with the help of others, we can fix the rest. Right. And that is my <laughs> saying. Yeah. And so, so for me with gratitude, waking up every morning, my eyes open, touch wood, I'm healthy and safe. That is the greatest gift of all. Yeah. And I my kids learn that too. So as you can see how important gratitude is for me. Right. Start every morning by saying that. And I end every day on what I'm grateful for from the day. And that's how the last thing I open, I open my eyes, I say the health and safety. And I close my eyes on, on, the wonder, on what happened today and the, the opportunities that I've had today. I've mentioned a few people this morning I was grateful for. So it's usually it's hugely profound. That's for sure. Second time the hair on my neck has uh, stood up. I've gotten goosebumps, Lee. So thank you for that. So let's talk about leadership then. I would imagine you're an extraordinary leader, but I also would imagine you know a lot of extraordinary leadership. So to you, what do you define or, or how do you explain authentic leadership and how important is it? It is hugely important because so um, what I always tell people is this. Leadership, whether, you know, if you're a broker or you don't have to be in a position of managing people. You you show leadership when you show up to work every day and show your leadership and your strength. But I always tell people is this, play to your authentic self. You know, don't try and, because we're all unique in our own beautiful ways, always try and play to your strengths. So for me, leadership is being authentic, playing to your strengths. Don't, don't try to be somebody that you're not. So if, but it's, you focus on the things that you know you're good at and play to those strengths. So be authentic is so, so important in leadership. Number two, I would say is being approachable, being kind, um, being op optimistic as well, because, you know, nobody likes people that are always like, well, that, we're never going to get that deal. Or, that's not going to happen. Or, this is going to, that's going to fall through. Like no one wants to be around those people because you know what moods and energy are contagious. So if you're around people like that all the time, that rubs off you, that negativity, right? So with leadership, you want to be optimistic. You want to be positive. So if something, and here's another thing I'll talk, I'll touch up quickly about leadership too. The real leaders that I admire, whether they're leading people or just leading their, their professional life, here's what they do. They focus on the things that they can control and they let go of the things that they can't. So to me, real, real strong leadership and professionals. So when something hits me, Gary, personally or professionally, the first thing I say is, okay, can I control or influence this? If the answer is yes, I dive in. If the answer is I cannot control or influence this, okay, what can I learn from it? And then I'm going to let it go. Because all too often I see people, leaders, professionals, focusing on things in their professional life or even their personal life, focusing on things they have no control over and they dwell and sit in it. If you cannot fix or control something, the most powerful thing you can do are the three words, let it go and focus the, your precious energy because our energy is so precious. Focus your precious energy on the things you can control and move forward. And that's how you get moving forward on all the stuff that happens and life forces hit us all the time. But it's how it's, it's letting go of those things you can't control by directing that energy to the things you can. And the most successful leaders, Gary, that I see, I see do that. They react to things by, can I control this? Yes or no? All right, I'm going to let it go if I can. And they, and they move on. The last thing I'll say, which is very important, and this is something my mentor shared to me, and I've shared it and the most successful people in life do this. If you don't have any goals written down, you have to write them down, both personally and professionally, because here's what I've, I've, I've read a book. There's a book, it was like, the, I think it was the top 10 tangible, tangible, intangibles of leadership or something like that, where this professor went and researched all these successful people. And what he found is that the most successful people in life write down their goals, both personally and professionally, but they don't just write them down. They write down short, short, long, medium and long-term goals, write them down. 
they do. The second thing that they do is that in that white space that I talked about, Gary, those successful people carve out, use that white space to figure out, they look at those goals, they figure out what baby step could I do tomorrow that I didn't do today to, to move forward with that goal. If you, have, if you don't have that white space, you're on that, you know, Ferris wheel. And so, so you write down those goals. You talk, Oh, there it is there. Yeah. That's one of the books that I read. Um, thanks. You gosh, you're good finding this stuff real fast. <laughs> thanks, David. Um, and I don't know this guy, by the way, it's not a plug, but anyway, I just wanted the great book. So write down the goals personally and professionally use that white space to carve, to, to, to figure out what steps could you take tomorrow that you, so if you're unprofessional with your business right now and you want to achieve X, write it down, use that quiet time to figure out what could you do tomorrow. Then the third thing most successful people do is they um, talk about them, let their intentions be known. So share your goals with people. I want to do this. Or I, you never know what door will open. And the very last thing successful people do is they visualize their success. So for example, when I was a VP of, uh, when I was a vice president before I got this job, I visualized myself as president. And what they say is that when you visualize yourself achieving one of those goals, both personally and professionally, it's like having a personal trainer in your mind because you start moving and acting and thinking as if those things have happened. And it's, it sets you in motion to achieve them. So make sure for everyone that's listening, make sure you write down your goals personally and professionally. Make sure you talk to people about them. Carve out white space to figure out how you can achieve them and visualize it Visualize it happening because you will surprise yourself how quickly you will achieve some of those goals. It's amazing in so many ways, uh, Lisa, how similar you and I are. I just did a uh, goal setting seminar a week and a half ago with more than a thousand people on it. Uh, and we have all kinds of people that took that session home to their family and their kids and their office, um, you know, to finally write it down and put the action steps uh, behind it. The other thing you said that I found um, really resonated with me, and I'm a firm believer, I've often, you know, said I don't hang with victims, right? Like if you're a Debbie, you know, Downer, Daryl Downer, yeah. you know, like just it's so emotionally taxing, right, to live in that world that just absolutely drags everything going forward down. So uh, really great to um, to hear that from you. So maybe um, we got a few more minutes. You know, I know a lot of people are, would love to know, sort of you talked about, you know, the first thing you say in the morning, you know, is, is the gratitude for opening your eyes. But just talk about quickly how you organize your life. Do you on Sundays, do you make a calendar for the next seven days? Do you make one every single night for what you want to get done? Yeah. You know, do you have your, your, your critical tasks that you write down two or three every day? And then it's sort of laissez-faire. How does Lisa listen sort of schedule schedule her week? Yeah, first of all, Gary, these are great questions. So thank you so much. You're doing a fabulous job, by the way, Gary. But <laughs> I get asked this a lot. It's like kind of how do you do, um, you know, your your job? And then I do a lot of charity work and then my sick kids boards and raising my kids. And this is sounds so simple, but I'll tell you this. Sometimes the most simple things in life are so profound if you apply them, if you use consistency, like all the things I've talked about today about how to strengthen your resilience muscle, this is not rocket science. It's simple things, but sometimes the most simple things are the most powerful if we apply them consistently every day in our lives, like living with gratitude. But something that's very simple, very simple, but so powerful is this. I have two to-do lists, not joking on my phone. One is for family, like my kids, and one is for work, okay? And Gary, what I do is every single time that um, something pops in my head, like, if my son will say, oh, mom, you know, on your way home, can you stop and get me some Bristol board? I've got a, I've got a project. It goes down on that list. Work, if I'm in a meeting, but it's something triggers a thought for another meeting, I, need, I write it down. So it goes on this list. And then what I do is that usually um, every, single, every single day I'll take a, so every morning I'll take a look at that list and then broader than that on Sundays or Monday mornings. But I take a look at that list and I say, okay, what absolutely critically has to get done next week and what can wait? Because we can't work on a thousand things, right? So those th that simple thing of writing down, I've got the two lists, personally and professionally, everything goes on that list. And then usually Sunday night or Monday morning, I'll take a look and go, what has to get done this week? And then those, those to do things actually get into my calendar. So I'll never forget things. Like if I didn't write down 
my son with bristol board i would get home and i'd be tired he's like mom where's my bristol like oh my gosh jack i i totally forgot you know so that's what i do and it sounds so simple but i would not be functioning at all without a personal and professional list that i write down everything so i never forget and it helps to manage my life yeah that's such a great share thank you all right so the last few minutes we're going to have a little bit of fun i have something called the uh lightning round and um you know 30 seconds on each answer or just uh, a single word is fine too it's about uh, sort of getting to know uh, you a little better so happy or content happy talking or texting talking a nickname your parents or kids you know called you growing up for some reason my six brothers nicknamed me lou lou l-o-u and in fact some of my high school friends still call me lou so i will answer to lisa or i will answer to lou yeah that's awesome uh secret indulgence uh i would say my secret indulgence is i love chocolate i'm sorry i'm a chocoholic so yeah Especially right now, those Cadbury mini eggs are everywhere for Easter. I can't even go into shoppers anymore. I'll be in trouble. I got to put my blinders on. They call, yeah. you, they, they call your name, do they? I, I suffer the same thing. They fate. do. Those little chocolate. Oh, yeah. my I, Definitely chocolate. What um, is a pet peeve for you? What what really sort of boils your, your water? When all a pet peeve for me is, is this. When, when, I, when I see two people talking and one person is not paying attention to the other person. They're looking around like, to me, it's that when you're, in, in fact, I have, look at this. This is what I have. I teach everyone this in my office. Okay. It says be here now. So pet peeve of how if someone's coming into your space, you give them your full attention. You look at them in the eyes, but you don't pick up your phone while they're talking to you. Right. So that is my biggest pet peeve is that when people don't give someone their undivided attention, you know, and listen, I, my dad always used to say, we were born with two ears and one mouth for a reason. We need to listen twice as much as we, as we speak mm. and listen. So that's a pet peeve. And we don't, we don't give people the attention that they deserve when they're in front of us. Before I go to the next on this lightning round, I actually want to expand on that a little bit because that also really uh, resonated with me. How introspective you were. You said in every position, in every boardroom, as you were learning all the way along, you would go in and you would watch the different personalities and how they would bully their way in or how they weren't being present and they were just preoccupied with thinking of their next thought. And you yeah. said, and I watched how it worked for them or didn't work for them. And I took that away and used that in how I carried myself going forward. Can you just quickly go uh, through that? Absolutely. So, so like for all your, you know, your, your brokers that are as a perfect example, like I think it's observing people around you is such a powerful thing, especially if you're observing people that have achieved what you want to achieve. So, I would always, when I'm in situations like when I was a vice president and I was invited to attend the president's meetings, I would sit and watch the dynamics of people. You know, there would be one person would come in and he would bang his, you know, and I could see how people reacted. And then he would be the guy that when he'd go to speak, everyone would grab their phone because they didn't want And I'm like, oh my gosh. So just observing and watching people and their behaviors and then watching how other people react to those behaviors is so powerful. And so I made many notes throughout my career where I would see people, you know, be the bull in the china shop, or I would see people being disrespectful. One of the greatest things you can do as a human being is to ask people, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Like, so, but I, I would see leaders launch right into someone, someone walking like, Hey, can you please go? What, what was that report? Whatever. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I wouldn't, I would make a note to myself, never do that. So if someone walked in my office right now, I would say, Hey, first of all, like we're getting a big snowstorm here and I'm like, Hey, like why are you in the office? You shouldn't be like just to show that you care. And I watched those caring people do that in my whole career. And the reaction that people felt when the person was caring, which is, I said, I want to make sure that I'm that caring person leader um, to anyone, to my friends, my family, and to listen and ask people how they're doing. And so, but I got the, I got all of that from really watching and observing yeah. the kind, nice people. And watch what happens those people that weren't kind and nice and made it all about themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and we, all know those pe- we know those people. <laughs> explain so articulately too, which is which is uh, just wonderful. Um, your favorite holiday? My favorite holiday? Yeah. Um, so I, um, I love going down the Caribbean, actually. So my mom's best friend lives in Antigua. Yeah. So we go down there a lot. And my other nickname is Strawberry. So yeah. because I've been going down to Antigua since I was five, I know a lot of the locals are like family to me. 
and uh, they call me Strawberry. So I, <laughs> I take my my mom and her best friend are birthdays are three days apart. So I always take my mom down there and have a celebration down there. That's so wonderful. that's my that's like second home to me. That's wonderful. And your favorite cocktail? Uh, I would probably say I'm I like my wine. Right. I'm a wine girl. Yeah, okay. I like I like red and white wine. I'm not a big into the fruity drinks, but I like a nice glass of wine for sure. Beautiful. Favorite music? Uh, favorite music. You know what? I would say that um, growing up, my parent, my mom used to always play Fleetwood Mac. It's the, I'm going to date my, but it's the Rumors album. And I'm such a, and it just bring back really good memories with my mom. Like when she had left my dad and that's a little story, but she would always play Fleetwood Mac and that Rumors album. And I would, I love to listen to them. And I would say the second one real fast is that um, is uh, Led Zeppelin because um, my husband, I met to Led Zeppelin. He was a huge Led Zeppelin fan. So at his funeral, um, when our celebration of life, I had a whole bunch of Led Zeppelin songs, like one's Ramble On, cranked at the at the funeral home. And it's very not very traditional. So I would say <laughs> those two, the Fleetwood Mac from my mom's memory and then Led Zeppelin from my husband's memory. That's awesome. That's incredible. What are you still, what goal are you still trying to achieve? I would say um, a couple things. So what's on my list for goals is that I want to actually get on a corporate board, Gary, because I'm a lot, a lot of nonprofit boards. Yeah. And so one of the goals that's on my list is I want to get on a, cor on, a, on a corporate board. And in fact, so what, what baby step did I take? I reached out to several of um, people in my network and I let my intentions be known. And I told them I really would like to get on a corporate board this year. And I put it out there. And I'm starting to get some calls now, so that's that's definitely um, uh, on my list from a from a person from a, pro a professional perspective. I would say uh, from a personal perspective, um, I I want to get back more into um, yoga and more things like that. Like I've let it slide a bit, so that's also on my list to try and get back into doing a bit more physical health things. So I'm. So I'm making a commitment to do that. So those are the two things personally and kind of professionally that I'm making a conscious effort to do more. Now that gyms have opened up too here, which is nice, getting mm -hmm. back out there and getting back into it because COVID with these lockdowns, you know, you kind of let that stuff slide. So that's something I really want to get back on track with. Interesting. Well, good luck with the yoga. I um, I told the story just recently, but at 53 years old last year, I woke up and I was so incredibly stiff, stiff. And I started doing yoga every second day. And I've been doing it for just over a year now, just past the Yeah. And it I want to get back me. into it. I it has definitely. changed my life least, right? Like yeah. I mean, just in my mobility, it is just, it's night and yeah. day. It's such a. Well, you know what? I'm sure your whole audience was, but you know what they, you know, 30 minutes of exercise every day reduces your stress level. It helps you like, I, I'm trying to get back into going for walks and things like that. We can always find 30 minutes to go for a walk. Yeah. It's so, so important that we do that. So that's definitely a on my list for this year, for sure. And the very last question for us, and we'll wind this up, and you've already answered it, so um, I think to some degree, but what are you most grateful for? I would say I am most grateful, honestly, for my children and I'm and how um, they have just turned out so well, despite, you know, they, my older, like they were nine, seven, five, and three when Patrick passed away. So my five-year-old, my three-year-old barely remember him. And I'm just so proud of them for how they have figured out how to strengthen their resilience muscle and for the great human beings that they've turned into and that they actually listen to their mom. So they are kind, they are nice, they are they're they live with gratitude. So I'm just so proud of the beautiful human beings that they've turned into despite you know being raised by a mom and really having no no dad or man present in their lives. They've turned out pretty incredible and I'm I'm so grateful uh, for them every single day. Well, let me tell you, what we're grateful for Elise. We are grateful for having you on this call. I mean, there is, I don't know, hundreds of comments that have come through that we have in the uh, the comment chat. Uh, you are just an absolute, I don't know that I know a finer example of a leader, um, but a leader who has, you know, had to get there just through sheer determination and, and resilience, as you, you know, call your book. It has been just a real pleasure to, uh, to sit uh, down with you and have you on the program today. Um, just before I say goodbye to all of you, guys, make any comments, tag uh, Lisa online, uh, Facebook, in Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. We're going to, uh, sorry, LinkedIn. We're going to send at least 50 of her uh, books out. Maybe we'll have her back again some uh, someday. She was absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, also, I want to put the date for our next guest. Our next guest is uh, Trevor Linden. 
Trevor was obviously the president and uh, general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. He was a, a beloved fan favorite in British Columbia with the Vancouver Canucks throughout his career. Uh, he's a, a friend of mine um, and just an extraordinary individual. So look for that on uh, Thursday, March 10th, same time, 11 a.m. And lastly, I want to thank our sponsors, First National. First National has been part of this program since day one. Uh, they're an extraordinary company. They're very, very good to us. And they are some of the best uh, at what they do in the Canadian mortgage finance. So to uh, my pals at First Nat, to Scotty, to Stephen, to Jason, thank you very much for uh, being so great of a partner. And with that, guys, we're going to sign off. Uh, at least thank you very, very much to all of you listening, tuning in today. I appreciate all of your time, guys. We'll see you thank soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.